Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello, valued listener, and welcome to this, the first ever UK Tech Weekly podcast, brought to you by the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Macworld UK, and Computer World UK. Each week we'll be gathering in our little radio treehouse to bring you no more than 40 minutes of informed discussion on the hot tech topics of the past seven days. We're sponsored by Audio Technica, who are providing the mics on which I can do this. Mmm, mmm. I'm Matt Egan. You weren't expecting me to do that, were you? Uh, Editorial Director of IDG UK, and today I am delighted to be joined in discussion by the mighty David Price, Acting Editor of Macworld UK. Hello. The wonderful Charlotte G, Editor of Techworld. Hi. And the entirely 100% present Mr. Scott Carey, Online Editor of Computer World UK. Hello. So we're going to start off today, uh, David, by talking about uh, Apple and Error 53. Yes. Uh, is this an example of Apple's can't-help-itself horribleness, or is it a storm in a beautifully built but expensive teacup? What's been going on? What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't really interpret it in terms of your metaphors, but it is very bad. That's how I would say... Uh, that's how I would sum it up. So it's, ex- um, explain the story. What's, what's okay, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a catastrophic error which has been striking people's iPhones and, in some cases, iPads, and turning them into uh, bricks. It's been bricking them. Um, and, and that's good only if you're a builder. It's not of so course, good. it makes it useful for house building. But uh, it seems to be caused by uh, people doing third-party repairs. Um, so they've had uh, other companies repair the Touch ID fingerprint scanner, or uh, in some cases, the screen. And then um, the next time they update their phone, they find that it doesn't work anymore. And it says, error 53. And is is a suggestion that this is an intentional thing? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but but it, is it the case that with your iPhone or iPad, uh, there's something in the warranty or there's something in that that Apple tells you in the small print that you shouldn't get a third party to to make these repairs? Yeah, if you get somebody other than an Apple engineer to open up your um, your device and repair it, if you do it yourself, or if you get somebody else, if it's not Apple certified, then that does void your warranty. Um, but they've never said anything about it. Um, Destroying effectively your phone. I mean, this, sure. this is this is um, uh, this is a disaster. It makes it completely unusable. Um, so, as far as we can see, it is deliberate because Apple have made a statement and they've said that this is a security measure. They've said um, that the iPhone runs a diagnostic check when it's um, when it's woken up and it checks that all the components are legit. You know, it's it's looking out for if some uh, dodgy guy has stolen your phone and then they've put in their own. 
um, version of a Touch ID fingerprint sensor, and then they're going to start using it for Apple Pay and things like that, and they're going to start buying stuff on your credit card, which is all, you know, this all makes sense, that it would then go, oh, hang on, something's wrong here, I don't recognise this fingerprint scanner. Except that um, if that's what it's for, then it should just disable the fingerprint scanner. Sure. It should stop you using Apple Pay. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But instead, what it's doing is it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's bricking the phone, which right. is really obviously uh, a measure put in place to stop you saving money on your repairs. They want you to get it repaired by them, which costs a lot more money. I mean, I should say, in the interests of our lawyers, <laughs> that we, we probably can't prove that. But, but, yes. Um, but that seems to be a wildly held... Perception yeah, yeah. Um, and when you say bricking it, what what do you mean? It, it won't do anything. You know, it, it's um, it will it will go black. It will not do a thing. And then when you plug it into your uh, in your Mac or your PC, then iTunes will say error fifty three. So it, it's yeah. it, so it really won't work. No, and and people are finding that they can't even get back stuff that was on there. You know, photos and things like and that. So so there's no there's no way of. I mean, do you then go to the Apple Store or a licensed Apple retailer and they can fix it? Or? There's uh, there's been mixed stories about this. A lot of people say even then they can't. Um, one method that's been suggested is that you reinstall the original components that were replaced. Right. Which is, I mean, which is that sounds like <laughs> magic though. This is just <laughs> astonishing. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But um, if you had them replaced, they obviously don't work. So yeah. oh, I'll, I'll put back in the Touch ID scanner that doesn't work. Brilliant. Um, but at that point, sometimes people are finding that it, it then runs another diagnostic check and it goes, oh, that's legit, but not working, and then it, and it works again. But other people are finding that doesn't work. Um, what I would do is I would go to Apple and um, see what they say, hmm. but a lot of them, a lot of the geniuses, so-called geniuses, don't even know what this is, don't understand sure. why it's happening, and won't be able to help. Hmm. So at that point, and again, with one eye on our lawyers, I would be thinking about... Uh, a class action lawsuit. I would be thinking. Wow. I would be investigating. It starts right here. <laughs> I know. I would be investigating my options because yeah. this is not really on. Or remarket the names of the geniuses and then yeah, it's it, idiot. Apple, <laughs> Apple idiot. <laughs> I'm off to the idiot bar. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think is uh, if uh, they're sort of saying officially that it's a security, it's security related? But if not that, what do you think might be the real motivation behind it? Well, I mean, treading gently here. Yeah, um, I'm try as a as a long term Apple fan and follower. I'm I'm trying to hold out hope that this is some sort of mistake. Could be a mistake. Yeah. That what they did or is it that could they well intentioned. Yeah. Uh, that is, is it? You know, there isn't communication between two mm, departments at Apple, yeah. which is not like them. But um, somebody's implemented a, a bit of code in iOS nine because this this was introduced back in iOS nine in mm. September. This has been around for a long while. Right. Mm. Um, and, but it's only and, just come into to. To view now, presumably because there's a certain amount of repairs have been required. Yeah, well, this is this is one of the things that's weird about it is that um, unlike every Apple scandal ever, which as soon as it's discovered, it it leaps to the top of the news agenda and people love it because it's got the word Apple in it. Mm-hmm. This case, people were reporting on it back in September, right. you know, five months ago, and it's sort of been on the back burner and it's gradually worked its way up, and now it's a big thing, um, but. I don't understand why it hasn't been bigger than it has. Right. I don't understand why Apple hasn't got out in front of this either yeah. because they're normally good at PR and this is obviously not on. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I would say, I mean, in you know, speaking back to your point about it being a mistake, it seems unlikely that in order to protect the business of repairs, which is a very lucrative business that, that Apple's own stores does and also the licensing fees it gets for people being a, 
a licensed Apple reseller. It seems likely that for that revenue stream, Apple yeah. would deliberately damage. Well, they know the importance of loyalty and perception, yeah. and yeah, they're very so it's good more likely to be mistake. But as as you say, it's it's unusual that Apple hasn't handled it. Yeah. quicker and better than yeah. Can any, is anybody prepared to defend Apple on this does anybody think it's a good thing to have that kind of settled? I do think that they're always going to protect that revenue stream and that if they can you know make sure that you do get your device repaired properly then they're going to do everything they can to it I don't think that goes as far as saying yeah. that they've introduced something that categorically punishes you for yeah. going to um, to going somewhere like that um, really niche question, but if your phone is bricked, can mm. you still get it recycled when you're exchanging your device? Because they pay mm. loads of money. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I recycled my last device. And, That's a good question. Um, they're even saying now with a smash screen, they'll recycle yeah. them. You're talking about 100 quid off your next phone. Yeah. Um, you, you sure even with a, a smash screen? Because I heard that if it's damaged, they'll yeah. take it. But they're saying they're saying not and catastrophic. Bricks is pretty damaged, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I just said that smash screen is 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 fairly yeah, catastrophic. Bricks the components are still in good nick. Mm. Yeah, it's just the software yeah. not working. Yeah, so. it also depends on who you're recycling it with, because often in that case, the the value to the person who's taking it off you in part X, it's a bit like with a car, mm. is that they're getting your business. Mm. And actually, in the case of networks or other manufacturers. If they're getting you either away from Apple or you're getting you onto their network or keeping you on their network, your value as a customer means they're happy to basically give you 100 quid for free. Yeah. And they're saying they're recycling it, but they may not even do that. It's no. just kind of their value for them. What about, so, okay, so this is, this is as you said, this is an Apple scandal. How no. are people's general, around this table, how are people's general perceptions of Apple, both in terms of its products and its company? David, you're the acting editor <laughs> of Macworld UK. You love Apple, uh, presumably, but... Um, Scott, Charlotte, how, how do you feel about uh, Apple? Yeah, I mean, I've always loved Apple products. I um, have had iPhones since, I think, the very first. I had a very original iPod, which I was absolutely in love with, that I used to manually... A very reset. original iPod. Very original. <laughs> As in the one with the silver back. Okay. Right. Um, that was, that was quite heavy. I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I loved that thing, and I used to manually reset it on, like, basically a daily basis to keep it running, and it eventually gave up the ghost. Um... <laughs> But yeah, and I, you know, I use a, a MacBook. I've got an iPad Mini. I've I've got a lot of the products, and I love them. Um, I think their customer service tends to be very good. I find them extremely expensive when things mm. go wrong. That's my main criticism. But mm. yeah, generally all in. Yeah, I think I'm broadly positive. I mean, I, I personally, I I've only ever owned a few Apple devices. I'm more I'm more of an Android phone owner to be honest in this weird the pause clash for the word android there was yes <laughs> i know <on> android. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that's just kind of personal preference but i think they 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 make a uh, beautiful devices they've got a, a nice kind of flowing ecosystem so everything sort of matches up i think you know my certainly my my parents are both massive apple apple fans i think as a company there's a perception that they uh potentially although they're doing very well and as sort of like I think they just did. They just lose top spot of most valuable companies. Well, it well who you believe, yeah. Because also, then apparently the next week they got it back. I mean, the yeah. fact is, a company that makes eighteen billion yes. dollars in a quarter, they're doing all right. Probably doing all. They're right. doing fine. Mm. But then the questions are over their kind of long term yeah. 
um, strategy uh, kind of are they really being as innovative as they used to be? So not a fan of the Apple Watch. Uh, I, I'm, I, well, I've, I've, I'm well wearing changing. a Pebble. I'm wearing a Pebble Time, so I'm I'm I prefer to have a nice open platform watch versus being locked into. Good. Good to know. <laughs> well, that's I mean that's an interesting point because you you know you just described a, a flowing ecosystem. Mm. One person's flowing ecosystem is another is another person's oh, closed God. loop, which is not. Yeah, not it's an Oxbow Lake, isn't it? Uh, it's an Oxbow <laughs> Lake. Exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Isn't their office block actually a closed loop? Yeah. <laughs> so it's an infinite loop. Infinite, infinite loop. loop. Yeah. Uh, oh, and, you know, I, I, I would entirely agree that Apple makes great products and is hugely profitable. But I do think one of the challenges it's got to face, and it's got to face with the biggest wad of cash in history mm. in its pocket, mm. so I think it'll be all right, is, uh, is that where once the iPhone in particular was miles ahead of everywhere else, everyone else, um, it's just actually technically not possible to be that far ahead of everyone else now because just the yeah. way components work. And also, and we'll come on to this a bit later when we talk about licensing and copyrights, there comes a point where where when you do something great, other people imitate it. Mm. Um, and it's kind of difficult to prevent that. But one of the things I was going to ask you about, uh, David, was was we saw over the past couple of weeks, the as we just discussed ourselves, the... Uh, the Apple quarterly results and how that was reported. Mm. Um, and if you read a lot of the national newspaper reports here in the UK, you would believe that Apple was about to fall off a cliff. Yeah, it, well, it's yeah, it's this amazing thing because they've had this this cash cow of the iPhone that's been successful to a degree, which is essentially unprecedented mm. in um, in corporate history. And and Apple has has grown increasingly to depend on this because when they first started doing, you know music devices and then phones it was like a niche part of their business mm. now they they rely on this and at some point it's going to stop going up nothing can carry on going up yeah. at that degree forever so people keep looking for just the smallest little um incline off in this case it's actually higher than ever before it's still growing it's just not, not growing, growing as fast, as fast mm. which is you know, yeah amazing. You, this is what it's like with apple because anything about apple is news um and if you think they're about to fail, that's huge news. Yeah. So everybody wants to be the first to notice mm. it. That's a point in search of evidence, isn't it? It really is. Exactly. <laughs> but back in the day, you would always believe that Apple weren't far away from creating another device that was going to basically mm. just keep the product line rolling. You know, the iPad, there was a lot of people when the iPad came out saying, who needs this? This is completely mm. unnecessary. Mm. They're saying that Tablet now, computer. <laughs> But still, I, like, so many people own yeah. them. Mm. Yeah. Re mm. Like, really popular device. So you just wonder if that innovation might be drying up. Yeah, I wonder about that as well. I wonder if that's mm. a perception thing because uh, there comes a point where a, a business, an organisation is so big that it becomes, it moves into a new part of its lifetime, which is which is where Apple is now, which is the making money part mm. of its lifetime. You know, Tim Cook gets a certain amount of abuse for not being Steve Jobs, but actually, fiscally, it's a much more successful organisation than the Tim Cook, and that's mm -hmm. what Steve Jobs recognised in anointing him his successor. He was the guy who could get you your MacBook tomorrow after you order it today. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, who knows where that transition will take them. We've seen it with tech giants in the past. IBM no longer makes laptops that people can buy because that was a very unprofitable business, and it's now in its sort of maximum revenue part of its... Uh, its life cycle mm. you know who knows and I, I also think the other side of that is the the technology argument which is we've gone through this time of unprecedented hardware change i'm not sure moore's law notwithstanding how much further that can go and actually where we are now all right there's, there's a lot of life to be had in the battery life argument mm. 
but really innovation now as we know um, from our enterprise websites is, is in the kind of cloud mm. area it's in the third platform Mm-hmm. Maybe even the fourth and fifth platforms when they come along. I did <laughs> go to um, I did go to an event a couple of days ago, and David Rowan, um, editor of Wired UK, was doing a speech, and it was a really great speech. Lots of like video clips of things like mad technology, mm. um, and he showed that there's this company um, I can't remember where it was from, but basically it's this like huge, great big charger, and you plug in what looks like a massive plug socket into your phone. It was an Android phone. And it charged the entire battery in under a minute. Right. Mm. Um, and it says it can charge a car in under like 10 minutes. Mm. So I wonder how quickly these things might change. Yeah. Uh, he also showed a clip of Steve Ballmer laughing raucously um, on the day that the iPhone was announced, saying that no oh, one I remember that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Which I never said. Seen. It would, he oh. said it would get like a four or 5% market share and that yeah. the rest would be Windows Phone. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although he's far from alone. I mean, Larry Ellison yeah. with the cloud, yeah. I mean, he sort of dismissed that. There's a. A fine pedigree of, of uh, technologists dismissing rivals' yeah. uh, innovations. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay, so we're all agreed. Apple's doomed. <laughs> uh, I think it's time to move on to our next subject. Um, Charlotte and Scott, we, we should explain to the rest of the world, assuming the rest of the world is listening to this, that, <laughs> that there is an elected mayor in London. Yes. Um, and quite we quite recent thing, though. Quite a yeah, recent. Quite recent. recent. And quite an odd position in some ways. It's, I think it's, I believe, it's the largest electorate for mm. a single person in Europe. Huh. But the level of power is interesting. Perhaps we'll get yeah. into that. But we're currently mid-election season. Mm. Um, what's What's been happening this week and how does this affect the world of technology? So, um, Londoners are going to go to the polls on Thursday the 5th of May. Lovely journalist um, go to the polls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, uh, so this week a group called Tech London Advocates came out with a manifesto for tech for the the mayoral candidates so basically uh, policy recommendations that they want them to adopt and it included things like better broadband more support for startups in terms of kind of uh, cheaper office space making it a bit easier to hire people from abroad you know outside the eu which is quite difficult um and there was also this this idea that we should get a chief digital officer for city hall currently a bit unclear what that means whether it means someone who fixes their technology or <laughs> is outward facing i don't really know so uh for for that kind of uh, purpose of debating this they all got together on tuesday at here east which is a digital campus as it calls itself uh in the former olympic park and the candidates that met, it's probably worth going over who they are. There is Sadiq Khan for Labour, who's currently uh, edged ahead in the polls. There's Zach Goldsmith for the Tories. And there was also Sean Berry for the Greens, Caroline Pigeon, who's a Lib Dem, and Peter Whittle, who was the UKIPper um, for the debate. What about the uh, new feminist party? Candidate? Yes, yes, there's also, well, the Women's Equality Party uh, were not invited and were a bit miffed about this. And... The lady, <laughs> now, now, uh, the, the, the ladies, one of their representatives stood up, um, from the floor and said, uh, you know, can the candidates say what they, what they think about, uh, getting more women into tech, which is a really, really Very pressing valid, issue. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately the chair sort of breezily said, oh, well, we'll, we'll come on to that later, I'm sure. Unfortunately, we never did come on to it. So I didn't get to hear what they thought about that. But, You're um, a huge fan of the chair's general performance on the day, though, weren't you? Yeah, so, you yeah. Know, I, I, another... Dimbleby is is probably safe. I'll just put it that way. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they, to be honest, the debate was... Um, I mean, it, it was interesting to hear what they had to say, but 
they all made the right kind of noises and they, they all said, you know, we, we support the manifesto. I don't think there was any, really any part of the manifesto they didn't support. The only note of difference was probably the UKIP candidate who said, you know, we should leave the EU, which Shock. funnily enough didn't go down that well. well they probably want to bring audience. back the loom and the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably, yes. Yes, he, he sort of quite bizarrely said that we need a sort of tech advocate in schools which i didn't i didn't really understand what that meant um Could the loom be used for fiber broadband absolutely <laughs> yes i think we just invented something <laughs> yeah it's a smart them. loom and it's yeah. uh, connected to all the other loom an iot yeah. uh, loom yeah, yeah, potentially yeah, yeah. um so yes so can the mayor affect tech does it matter what what how much influence does city hall have over technology in london i think the it's an odd role really because the Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, in terms of their powers, they don't. They don't really have very many. They can transport. Yeah, yeah, transport. I mean, they 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 can't really. In terms of sort of raising and spending tax, they they're, they're actually pretty minimal. Yeah. I think they're they're sort of seen more as a cheerleader for London. Um, it's it's kind of it's not purely ceremonial. That wouldn't be fair. But but it, but there is a lot yeah. of that to the role. Um, so the answer is, I mean, for example, visa rules. I mean, they have literally zero yeah. impact. All they can do is lobby. The government and say yeah. this is affecting with, with a which with is a large with, with a large um, yeah. mandate yeah yeah I mean it's not I'm not to, which isn't to say that isn't a powerful role um, it's just they don't they don't directly kind of affect that as much as they they might make out sure what about this I mean I'm interested in the whole idea of startups in London this is something you looked at a lot Scott mm. um, we hear a lot about Tech City and you know Silicon Roundabout um, is that a reality or is, or is that almost to Charlotte's point the mayor, in this case Boris Johnson, you know, doing good PR for the city. Yeah, at the end of the day, when it comes to the that area, the mayor will always make the right noises, but he actually doesn't do a lot of work himself in the area. He lets his um, promotional body, London and Partners, look right. after things like that, um, especially when it comes to attracting talent, uh, tech talent, tech city. All of these things are about, you know, proving that London is a tech hub. Um, there, are, there have been lots of startups coming out. There's a lot of money being invested in London, there's a lot of talent here, um, and it is competing on sort of the worldwide stage. But at the end of the day, the mayor, yeah, again, can only be a cheerleader for that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And 
interesting that we all have slightly different uh, pronunciations of the word mayor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apparently I pronounce a lot of things American, okay. I've been told. Pronounce uh, them American. Like, do they Al- even have Alman, mayors in Alman? They do. They have mayor of New York, Bloomberg. for example. Yeah. yeah. I feel embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they're American mayor. Yes, but yes. It is mayor. They've got cities and everything. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They do. I know. They it's really, city. They, they're really own... doing well over there in, in America. <laughs> and the Canadians have mayors, don't they? Who's they do. The, well, who of course, the mayor yeah, of that Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. He was, he was interesting. <laughs> he was interesting. Are we going to get the lawyers involved? No, that is. The lawyers may have to get involved in several things. Actually, I was going to raise one point before we before we move on into whatever we're moving into. Um, there was a really interesting moment in the debate uh, two days ago when Zach Goldsmith said that he's not an Uber customer and he thinks that they represent um, unfair competition, presumably because black cabs have to adhere to regulations that Uber doesn't. Mm. And that was very interesting. Sadiq Khan said the genie's out of the bottle and we've already got a million Londoners signed up to it. But it, it, that was actually one of the very few um, rare moments of difference. But that is interesting, isn't it? Because that is... And Zach, Zach Goldsmith is you know, very, quite a prominent politician. He's the... He's a scion of a very wealthy family, um, but also he is from the conservative tradition, and, and literally conservative of a small c. Mm-hmm. I would presume that the uh, the Hackney cab license owning cab drivers in London actually have quite a big constituency, um, and I would say that the reality of it is that Uber have Ubered that particular industry, mm-hmm. and that genie is out of the bottle, and, and and the idea that, that a politician can legislate against tech mm-hmm. in a sense, which is kind of what he's saying. Is, is just is completely false. It's, my view would be that, not that I'm saying Uber's brilliant or anything, but it, but that model is actually far from being anti-competitive. It's entirely competitive, mm. um, and it's interesting that uh, nominally, at least from the right of centre, politician would be attempting to protect an industry yeah. rather than allowing market forces. It to, must uh, it must just be political grandstanding there? You would think because, so. as we said, he doesn't have any power over that, no. and so he's speaking to. I mean, speaking to the base, to use a sort of American yeah. political oh, term. Now you're American. Yeah, now, <laughs> now I understand it. But you know, he's a he's a conservative, but he's yeah. a, a very liberal yep. conservative. And you would think yeah. that taxi drivers wouldn't ordinarily be inclined. This is a terrible generalisation, but you you might think that your taxi driver on the street always making generalisations. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the generalisations they might make is that those people from Eton are all the same, or those environmentalists are all the same. And he is both of those things, yes. but he's also standing up for the taxi drivers. So yes. maybe it's yeah. for that reason. But I, yeah. I, th- I think the point I'm making is that it's another occasion in which, and maybe this is a uniquely British thing, but a politician is is attempting to hold, is attempting to understand something that they don't understand mm. or attempting to legislate something <clears throat> that they don't understand it yeah. happens all the time we have, we have yeah. it, we, with uh, successive governments trying to quote police the internet mm. yeah. uh, using yes. technology and or having... shut that thing down as exactly. Trump put it that's my favorite <laughs> yeah. shut down yeah. the internet yeah. just shut it down yeah. I mean I think I think Goldsmith kind of couched it in terms of an emotional attachment to black cabs right. and in terms of sort of feeling sad that, that you know they, they may be under threat you know, it's kind yeah. of debatable how far they are I mean there are there is an argument that Uber, rather than replacing black cabs, are increasing the number of journeys people yeah. take in taxis. I, I, I don't know. There's not very clear data about how much Uber are taking away business. But isn't it adapt or die anyway? I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the the fact is that in London we're blessed with extremely good black cabs because mm. they have to do the knowledge. So they, yes. they know literally every street in the city of 8 to 11 million people, depending on who you believe. 
um, and they're, um, they're, they're licensed and they're legislated and all that stuff. But, they, but the, the value that they add is if you get in a black cab, they know exactly where they're mm, going. Mm. Um, so if they adapted, if the black cabs adapted um, some of Uber's way of booking mm. and being present everywhere, in much the way that actually a big private hire company like Addison Lee is starting yeah. to do, then Uber's competitive advantage starts to slip away and people might choose to go with the black cab because it yeah. is a better experience, even if it's slightly more expensive. Well, they offered, Uber actually said, we're willing to let black cabs use our platform for sure. a year. You know, They a, do that in New trial. York. Yeah. So in New yeah. York, you can flick across and you can see yellow taxis yeah. in the area and book them there and then I think mm. you pay them in cash. Mm. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's not impressive. I think we do have to remember that Zach Goldsmith was an extremely radical environmentalist yes younger yeah. in his career so the whole ta- so it is it's got to be politically motivated because in reality years ago he would have just said we shouldn't be getting taxes yeah. we should be using yes. public transport we should be cycling yeah and now suddenly it's okay which one is the least um the path of least friction here politically yeah. and it's probably just backing the black cabs yeah, and it's not going to decide I mean the, th- the thing is that it's not really going to be an election decider I mean frankly I mean, even even I, who am very interested in the tech sector and follow it, and it's my job, I'm not going to decide who I vote for based on their stance on the tech sector. Because the, the problem is you can't really, you can't really kind of section it off into its own bubble. Because in reality, you know, if, if startups yeah. can't afford to live here or they can't afford to, I don't know, um, rent office space, then, you know, they're all, they're all linked together. You can't really talk about tech as a separate issue. They're very linked. And, and actually talking about rents and stuff like that it, it brings another relevant point in which is that we're talking about a london mayor election which i think is of at least vague interest to the rest of the uk but then we often hear about this idea again to go back to you scott about the tech city about the silicon roundabout but i do wonder whether um, in pr in london in that way for tech are we are we ignoring the fact that there are great tech centers outside of london in the uk Definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Tech North um, have been sending out some press releases recently saying, you know, don't forget about us, Bath and <laughs> Bristol. Yeah, Manchester been, as well. Have been talking about all of their success recently in terms of um, producing startups and innovation and things like sure. that. Um, it, it definitely is an issue that goes beyond London. Yeah. Um, it's easy for these guys to talk about Uber, but Uber is not just in London. No, of course. Um, and it, it definitely goes a lot further, so... It, it just comes down to the fact that we're in the middle of a you know election cycle where the mayor mayoral election is coming up. That's yeah. what people want to talk about, and London will always be dominant in terms of tech. It's where a lot of the talent is. It's where they want to be, mm. and and that's just the way it is. Mm. But it's also where the highest wages are and the highest exactly. rates are. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. Like I was speaking to a startup not so long ago who based itself in Birmingham principally because they felt it was the best combination of talent mm. against cost and also geographically it meant it was easier for them to reach mm. the rest of the country i know charlotte you've, you've been all over the place you were in aberdeen recently yeah uh, you know uh, what's, yeah what's manchester aberdeen i went to birmingham as well i went recently for for a, a kind of tech nhs tech conference there um but yeah, I, I think absolutely there there is a huge amount of talent and there's very interesting stuff happening outside um, of London, obviously. I mean, in uh, recently I went to William Hill's Accelerator and spoke to the guys who won that. They're called Bet Game. And they're just a couple of blokes who live in Manchester and set up their own company where you can bet on the game of FIFA that you're playing with your friend. Sure. Which is quite a fun idea. Oh, 
Yeah. Any any game any game that you esports though don't like esports is huge like mm. uh, maybe not so much with sporting games but like the actual like World of yeah. Warcraft esports ESPN mm. has just made a section on their website for esports even though John Skipper two years ago said that we only cover real sports <laughs> we never cover esports yeah. and he's completely backtracked so it, it's a big it thing big, but gambling yeah. on esports I think is really fascinating yeah. because gambling yes. currently underpins pretty much all televised sport that's yes what, that's what pays for it essentially. Yes. So the idea that you can now yeah. gamble on your game of, of FIFA yeah. or Pro Evo or whatever against your mate on the other side of the world is... Yeah. Uh, I was going to do a Ray Winston impression, but I decided against <laughs> it. Save it for next week. We'll yeah. be able to come back for Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, enjoyable. Okay, I think we've entirely covered the London mayoral debate mm-hmm. and uh, London as a tech centre. <laughs> so we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which is YouTube licensing and the question of whether you can license an idea. This week has seen much wailing and gnashing of teeth after the Fine Brothers attempted to franchise out something called a reaction video. Yes, I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Who can tell me what is a reaction video? Well, um, it's if if I may jump in, um, (laughs) please. (laughs) The idea is correspondent David Price. Am I the? No, you're you're the oldest, aren't you? Very much so. Um, uh, The Fine Brothers show something uh, noteworthy. Usually it's another YouTube video to uh, either a young person or uh, uh, an intriguingly old person. You have to be either <laughs> one or the other, and then that person reacts. That's yeah. all it is. And so you film yeah. them being flabbergasted, basically. Yes, right. I'd call them I've flabbergasted videos. So like um, when the Red yeah. Wedding happened on Game of Thrones, yeah, and there exactly. were all those videos oh, yeah, of people, people reacting. their minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That kind of thing. So, so the, yeah. all those videos aspects of it, I guess, is what's interesting here, because these guys are very successful with this. They've built a business on YouTube huge millions of hits and therefore some good revenue um, and they this week attempted to sell a franchise in essence of of their model which has caused a huge outcry presumably because they're not the only people doing reaction well they videos. weren't the first to do it right. they're, they're sort of the most successful at the moment which is which is actually part of the issue because they are the big dogs if you like they they are being given this special power by uh, youtube that they are allowed to arbitrarily take down other people's videos because mm. they are sort of um select users that get right. so many um once views. you get above a certain i should say once you get above a certain number of views you get various perks one of which is you can sell your own advertising which makes a huge difference mm. but the other thing is yeah google will then actually start supporting you um as a as a sort of uh, tv channel yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So is it a case of YouTube shooting themselves in the foot a little bit? I think it's the Fine Brothers shooting themselves in the foot. Okay. But I mean, isn't I, it YouTube who set up the rules within which they operate? They well they set up the rules about the, the perks, but mm. um but it's the Fine Brothers that have stepped in to trademark the idea right. of React React World, they call yeah. it. Right. Which is ridiculous because they didn't well yeah. they didn't do it first, you know. Right. And, and, yeah, and, and also so can generic. you I mean that's such a weird thing. I mean you yeah. can't really Kind of copyright yeah. something that would be like, like that. that would be like trying to copyright square corners on a smartphone. Yeah, phone. well, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I should, yeah, I should uh, stress that this is trademarking, not copyright. Trademarking, copyright. right? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Which Such makes a, a small difference. Yeah, they have to actively enforce it. I believe that is quite strange. Uh, so yeah. they're kind of constructing barriers to entry for other reaction. Yeah, they are. It goes, it goes against everything that YouTube stands for, and, yeah, and they yeah. and they made all these noises about community and how they're all mates with mm. each other. And but they're not at all. It's just as hierarchical as any business so platform. They, in essence, they were trying to make money from a, a franchise business, yeah. and and interestingly, the reaction has been overwhelmingly, <laughs> virtually one hundred percent negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sort of brings me on to a, a broader topic, which is which is how does copyright 
work with the internet? Can it work with the internet? It almost speaks back to what I was talking about previously with politicians not necessarily understanding tech. Mm. You know, a lot of our copyright and trademark laws uh, in every um, sort of developed Western territory date back to a time of books, essentially. Mm. Mm. Is it possible to protect an idea in that sense on the internet? Mm. It's an interesting concept. I mean, if you look at people like Aaron Schwartz, obviously who un- unfortunately passed away, he, he was a, a, a big, um, you know, pioneer in terms of trying to open up information yeah. and have, had a really strong belief that that uh, knowledge should, you know, the internet has a power to make knowledge accessible to all. But then equally, you can see that if you're a photographer, you you want to be fairly sure. remunerated for for your yeah. work. Um, I don't think we've I don't think we've reconciled those two positions yet. Well, it is difficult because so we we find this often uh, on the consumer side here at IDG um, that so PC Advisor and Macworld UK, which have huge audiences, the content we produce there will appear on other sites. And recently, mm. we had a thing where an Amazon power reviewer was basically passing off PC Advisor reviews as their own in order to get free gifts from Amazon. Mm, and of course, we we're a big media companies so we will defend ourselves and we've got lawyers or we can at least pretend we've got lawyers and write letters, <laughs> letters. don't give that away don't yeah. um, and no one's listening by now it's fine uh, and, uh, and and that's fine but then there's come a point where it's kind of like well how much is it hurting us really mm. and you know how enforceable are mm. these rules yeah I just don't know no I mean I was, yeah. I was listening to the head of digital strategy at Times or News UK even the other day and he was saying now, basically, getting an exclusive for newspapers is irrelevant. Yeah, it, They still want to be first, but it doesn't do anything for mm. them because within, I think he said, within five minutes, someone else will have copied it yeah. or said as reported in the Times. Yeah. yeah. Um, within about 20 minutes, it would be all over anyone that's mm. going to cover it. And within about 50 minutes, you would have a piece by BuzzFeed or Mashable saying, oh, my God, look at the reactions yeah. to this piece the Times yeah. have just written. Yeah. So this, the news cycle, and then within 24 hours, it's out of the yeah. news cycle. So these yeah. things have all like collapsed down and you get a lot shorter window mm. and people expect things for free. Yeah. 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 I think the genie is kind of out of the bottle to well, repeat really that phrase. Well, there's a piece on the FT recently, speaking of things that aren't free. Um, where it was essentially a critique of um, other publications and saying that the newspaper model in the UK is kind of screwed because attempting to be everything to all people is just not how it works now. And we know that mm. ourselves. We have mm. six different um, titles that cover very six very different niches of people who are interested in technology from consumers down to up to C-level professionals. Um, and what we've learned ourselves, I guess, is that you've got to be unique to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me think that this whole idea of the Fine Brothers franchising was, was always kind of doomed to fail anyway because the thing that's made them successful, if anything's made them successful, is presumably the people in the videos and the mm-hmm. editorial quality of the videos. So someone else could try and copy that illegitimately and may or may not succeed, but they succeed on their own terms. And someone could buy the franchise and may or may not succeed, but they mm-hmm. succeed on their own terms. Mm-hmm. But on a moral level, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I can, I'm, I'm very conflicted about this as well. Mm. But I just think, if somebody had uh, a genuinely original idea, which reaction videos are not, yeah. but you know, somebody comes up with something and then they do it well, and then somebody else copies the idea and does it better, and then displaces them and gets all the money. Mm. Part of me is thinking, well, that's not 
but they're doing, totally it's they're doing fair. It, it's they're doing it better bit though, isn't it? Mm. But but it's a it's a it's a but combination of two things. You're adding something to it. You are adding something. Yeah, there but, aren't any really original ideas anymore. So but you've that's, got to do it better. Yeah, that's so cynical. There must be something. Yeah, cynical. If, if so, but maybe the reason there are no new ideas is because you can't make any money out of yeah. ideas anymore. All you can make money out of. It's rehashing. Yeah, old I think ideas. that's a really good. Point. And that's the original pur- purpose of copyright yeah. is to encourage innovation. But then yeah. I would say our experience, uh, speaking about Macworld UK, our experience has been that at one point we did use to attempt to cover everything about mm. Apple for, you know, the magazine reader, if you like. And that online that didn't succeed. But what succeeds extremely well is creating information that people can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that so yeah. in a sense, um, they. The, the market or the internet kind of polices itself in a way. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I, I completely take the point you're saying. I'm not mm. quite as didactic about this as mm. I may be coming across. Um, but I do think there is an element by which originality, at least, uh, is recognisably originality on the internet. For instance, yeah. you know, in the old days, someone could come along and steal your idea and put it in a newspaper. And if you didn't have access to a newspaper, you would, you would never be able to prove that they'd stolen your idea. Mm. Whereas at least now on the internet, we have date stamps. Mm. Yeah. We do. And yeah. for anyone playing UK Tech Weekly, word bingo out there, genie in the bottle three times, three didactic times. once. Yeah. So, twice now. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, I know. Which may be time to bring this Harlequinade to a halt. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. thanks for sticking with us this far. Uh, it was our first time and you're a wonderfully patient audience, Mum. So do get in touch uh, uh, to let us know any of your thoughts and opinions and to shake us down for cash. We will be back next week, whether you like it or not. And you can tweet us at UK Tech Podcast or email editor at IDG UK. Put podcast in the subject line. We'll be back next week with more informed opinion on the hottest topics in tech. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.